On today's show, the Hawks get their fifth win in the last seven games and a strong one on the road in Philadelphia. We'll get into all of how they did it, a big lead early on, and then holding on for dear life down the stretch. We'll also talk about some stuff with regard to the deadline yesterday and some comments from Landry Fields at the end of the podcast, and we'll get into all of that and much more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1650 of the Lofton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening here in mid-February. And I want to encourage you, as I always do, at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day here at Lofton Hawks. Check us out and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you find your podcasts, places like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Overcast on the audio-only side, as well as YouTube if you want to watch us on a video platform. And today's show will focus on what became a very solid win for the Hawks on the road, 127 to 121 in Philadelphia. Their fifth win in the last seven games, their first game post-deadline. I did a deadline breakdown show yesterday, so if you missed anything from that, I talked about what didn't transpire for the most part on Thursday evening, so that is still fresh in your feeds. I also posted a ton of bonus audio and video from Landry Fields on Friday morning as he spoke to the media via Zoom on Friday, and that is still available for you as well. We'll have more on that later on in the show. I want to at least leave with that as a sort of the uh, topic, topic du jour of the last few days in Hawksland. But as I said before, five wins in the last seven games for the Hawks, and the only two losses were against arguably the two best teams in the league right now in Boston and in the Clippers. And in this game... It was not smooth sailing. They did lead literally the entire way. They never trailed against the Sixers in this game. Although, down the stretch, it got a little bit nicer than you would have hoped. They were up as many as 22 points, and it was not that comfortable. But they didn't play well later later on in the game, and they kind of had to hold on. But they certainly were able to do that and escape with a pretty solid road win. Now, I have to say, not to pour cold water on this stuff, because I think if you watch the game, you will certainly agree with me on this. This was not the Philly team from earlier this season that the Hawks were playing against in this game. With this loss, Philly's now lost eight of the last nine games. So this is not the same team. Also, a pretty challenging roster spot on both sides in this game, although it was worse for Philadelphia. Joel Embiid, who was the MVP frontrunner when he got hurt, is of course out right now for the Sixers. Tyrese Maxey was under the weather in this game. He's obviously an all-star level player. So the two best players by far on Philly's roster were not playing in this game. And then they also didn't have DeAnthony Milton, who's a starter for them. Nick Batum, quality role player. Robert Covington also out in this game. Philly only had nine guys active for this one, and two of them, Buddy Heald and Campaign, just got there literally today after the deadline. So they were very, very shorthanded in this game. And the Hawks were favored, actually, according to our friends at FanDuel, by, by about three and a half, four points at tip-off. And if you told me that a couple weeks ago, that the Hawks are going to be favored on the road in Philadelphia, by the way, without DeJounte Murray and Clint Capella, I would have laughed at you, but when you throw in all the injuries, and especially Embiid and Maxi not being there, that is why. As I just mentioned, Murray missed this game with back tightness. TBD on that, no real information on how serious that might be. Of course, he missed the last game on Wednesday as well. This is two in a row for DeJounte. We'll see if he returns to action on Saturday when the Hawks come back home. Capella is still out, of course. Patty Mills and Wes Matthews were also out with illness. So three guys, one for the Sixers and two for the Hawks, out with illness in this game. And then a lot of guys still in College Park. Kobe Lufkin just missed a back-to-back, actually, with injury, a, an ankle injury of some kind with College Park. And then Seth Lundy was still there as well. So only 10 guys available for the Hawks in this game. Uh, so pretty short-handed benches on both sides. But anyway, 
all that context out of the way, it's still a good road win. Anytime you go on the road in the NBA and win, it's a pretty good win. And it wasn't like they were playing the Pistons in this game. The Sixers, yes, in their current form, not very good. I have to be honest about that. But it's still a road win. And with the Hawks not 100% either, still very solid. So we'll start with the offense first. That was the better side of the floor for the Hawks in this game. They had about a 128 offensive rating or so. It was well over 130 until the fourth quarter. And they shot the ball very, very well. The biggest single swing on the stat sheet in this game was the shooting. The Hawks shot 31% from the field in this one and 44% from three. That included 5 of 16 from the field and 0 of 5 from three in the fourth quarter. So they had a pretty rough fourth quarter offensively and shooting-wise, and they still shot the heck out of the ball on the hole in this game. They were 27-33 at the free-throw line. That was inflated, at least in the attempts-wise, by the fourth quarter, but that's also just fine. 31 assists. And 13 turnovers is very, very solid as well. They had one rash of bad ball security, but the rest of the game, they were pretty solid there. And I sort of talked about it a second ago with regard to how the shooting was the big pivot point in this game because the Hawks actually got smoked in the possession battle. Often on this podcast this season, I've talked to you about how the Hawks were outshot, but they were able to stay in the game because of they kind of went on the margins. Tonight, they lost the margins and they shot the ball well in this one. Um, kind of the inverse, anyway. Eight guys for the Hawks had eight points or more. Trey had a big night, 37-12. and 12. We'll come back to that later on. Double-doubles from, J- from Jalen Johnson, Sadiq Bey. Conway had a good game as well with 21 points. So uh, pretty balanced beyond just, you know, Trey being a standout. But offensively, it was really solid. You know, I have to say, Philadelphia's defense without Embiid, um, without Milton, not very good. Like their starting perimeter trio of campaign, Buddy Heald, and Kelly Oubre is not fantastic defensively. Paul Reed is a solid enough backup center, but not really a, you know, a huge rim protector at this point in time. So it was kind of, Free sledding a lot of the game for the Hawks, but still a pretty good offensive performance on the whole without DeJounte in particular. I guess, of course, he helps the offense so much when it comes to not allowing Trey to be triple teamed and carrying the offense with, with Trey off the floor, etc., etc. Defensively, it was not as strong as the offense. Obviously, that's not a huge surprise when you allow 120 plus to a shorthanded team, even in their own backyard. Um, a 123 defensive rating or so in this game, and the biggest problem was the possession battle on the whole, but it was especially the defensive glass. So I always encourage people not to look at the just the raw rebounding totals because that's kind of misleading sometimes, particularly on the team side, but even individually. The starting front court for the Hawks was pretty good in this game. They had 30 combined rebounds out of the three of them, Johnson, Bay, and Okongwu. That's also just fine. But Philly got about 40% of their own missed shots on the glass. And if you're wondering how, how good that is, it's absolutely elite. Um, Philadelphia had a whopping 31 second chance points in this game. And it wasn't like Philly was going big. Paul Reed is about the size of a Kongwu, who isn't obviously a big center. And Tobias Harris is a, you know, power forward in today's game, but not like a dominant player. Um, it just, the Hawks did not rebound the ball well in this game. It wasn't just the big guys. It wasn't just the perimeter guys. It was kind of all of it in the mix. Obviously, um, Capella helps with the rebounding. He's a very, he's very good at that, but it wasn't just that either. Like the Hawks just didn't do a very good job on the glass in this game. And uh, they avoided damage elsewhere, which certainly helped, but that was a problem area. If there was one single problem area in this game, that was probably it, in addition to the fourth-quarter offense. But Philadelphia did not shoot the ball well in this game, which with a hat tip to the Hawks for defending at a high level. Philly was only 23 of 44 in the paint. That's actually very good, despite being uh, above 50% in the paint. So it wasn't great, but it was enough. I thought the Hawks should have won this game by more. They were in control of it for the most part. Um... They had some self, I don't know, some self 
described issues, some uh, self-inflicted wounds, I would say, in the fourth quarter. Turnovers, Trey had too many of them in this game for sure. Um, hit and miss. Obviously, there's still a player short with Hunter being limited by his minutes restriction. DeJounte out, Capella out. So you're having, you're having to play Garrison Matthews. You're having to play Trent Forrest some in this game. But, um, you know, anyway, I won't ram- ramble anymore, but certainly a solid performance. Like I saw some people talking about how the Hawks should have won this game by 30. Look how bad the Sixers are. And yeah, you know, had the Hawks lost this game, having led by 22 points, it would have been a bad loss because they were in control of the game. But they were favored by three and a half points or four. And that certainly, um, the Hawks were, in my mind, the better team. They were the better roster available in this spot for sure. But nothing is assured in the NBA when you're a three and a half point favorite on the road. And they went out and won the game and even covered. The Hawks don't really do that very much these days, and they did in this game. So we'll leave it there for now. We'll talk about more of how the game unfolded in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is sponsored by eBay Motors and our partners, eBay Motors. I'm teaming up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy basketball picks each week, all season long. Whether you're preparing for daily drafts or scouting the waiver wire, every week we'll have some players for you, and Josh will be providing them that are guaranteed to fit on your fantasy basketball roster. So let's see now who Josh has picked up for us in this week's edition of eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Basketball Picks of the Week. And as always, there's a full list of guys that Josh wants to highlight, but this time we're going to focus on Jazz Ford, Taylor Hendricks. Josh lays out that the biggest thing is that Hendricks is going to be in line for a much, much larger role with Utah after the Jazz traded guys like Simone Fontecchio and Kelly Olenek away at the deadline. Plus, of course, Hendricks is a top 10 pick from this last year. Covered him a lot on the, on the pre-draft podcast over the summer. He has clear upside from a skill position standpoint, and he's not going to change your life in a shallow fantasy league right now, but he does have the pedigree and the talent and also the opportunity they're always looking for in the waiver wire in February, especially in a deeper fantasy league. Josh Lloyd, again, from Lifetime Fantasy Basketball, is helping helping you win your fantasy championships. And anybody that knows that championship teams are all about making each player having to be a perfect fit for your roster. It's the same, by the way, for your vehicle. I'm on the road a ton for day job stuff and Hawk stuff and going to games all over the place. And there have been times in the past when I've had to find an upgrade for my car, even just a fixer part or two to keep things running and on schedule. eBay Motors is the best possible place to do all of that. They have over 122 million parts to for your number one ride. You can also make sure that your car or truck stays running smoothly with the folks at eBay Motors. They have brake kits and LED headlights and roof racks and bumpers. Whatever your vehicle happens to need, eBay Motors will have it for you. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you are burning rubber, and of course, you are not burning cash. Keep your ride or die alive right now at ebaymotors.com. That is ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit is only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, to the game flow in this one, and... It was back and forth early on. It was pretty close. Some nice flashes from the Hawks in the early moments, but it was kind of back and forth for a while. And then I'll get to this now. Rotationally, it was Bogey in place of Murray. Uh, Bogey seems to be what they do whenever Trey or Jante are out. That doesn't make sense. Bogey's one of the best reserves in the entire league. Hunter was, was the only bench guy to play more than eight minutes in the first half. Uh, I thought Bruno was solid before halftime. Garrison Matthews played. And, of course, AJ Griffin did not. Um, we'll come back to him later on, but he was the only guy who was active that did not play in this game. Not a huge surprise, but noteworthy anyway. While we're here, though, Trent Forrest was active tonight in his 50th game of the season. I did this in a longer form yesterday on the show, and I would encourage you to listen to that. But in short, this is the final time that Trent Forrest can appear for the Hawks in the sort of in the big leagues in the NBA unless something changes with, with his contract. So two-way players are capped at 50 games, being active all year. He's already at that number right now. So he had to be converted to a full deal for him to play again for the Hawks. 
and the Hawks currently do not have a roster spot available. So they could waive somebody if they wanted to. Um, they might just kind of cycle that out. We'll see. That's a decision they have to make pretty soon. Landry Fields was asked about that today. He acknowledged that. Um, and we'll see what they end up doing on Trent. I like Trent a lot. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they waived him. It also wouldn't shock me if they if they waived somebody else and converted him. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. But I'll just say this. like There isn't a whole lot of utility to having anyone. Much I mean, It's not about Trent. Just having a two-way player that can't be used in the NBA doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's where the Hawks now are with Trent as of literally today. So keep an eye on that in the next couple of hours and days. Um, the Hawks made their first big run, a 7-0 run in the middle of the first quarter to go up by 9 points. They also had a late push to go up by 14 at the end of the first quarter. They were actually up 11 after 12 minutes. Um, Jalen Johnson had a 5-5-5 first quarter. His numbers definitely trailed off from there. He only actually ended up, ended up with 11 points in the game, but uh, you don't often see 5-5-5 quarters. So he's obviously, uh, the flashes there are evident. They had 11 assists in the first quarter, 9 of them from Jalen and Trey, and only one turnover in that period. Mostly kind of held their own early in the, in the second quarter. There was an 11-2 run, though, by the Hawks mid-quarter in the second to go up by 21 points. They had threes from Okongwu and Bogey and Bay during that run. Late in the half, Philly got back within back within 14. The Hawks actually closed the game uh, on a, sorry, closed the first half on a three by Trey Young to go up by 17. And really, the first half was like kind of a good microcosm of what this game could have been like had the Hawks played well the entire way. They had a 149 offensive rating in the first half to go up by 17 points. Obviously, they had the talent advantage against these Sixers, given what I said before about just how many guys were out for Philadelphia, how shorthanded they were, etc. But the Hawks also shot the heck out of the ball compared to Philadelphia, particularly in the first half, where Atlanta was 11 of 19 from three before halftime, and Philly was 4 of 20. So the Hawks already had the edge, in my opinion, roster-wise. And then they had seven more threes than Philly on the same amount of attempts, basically. So that'll tell you why they're up by 17 points at halftime. By the way, Trey had 18 and 8 at half, and Okongwu had 17 points. It was actually Okongwu's biggest scoring half in about a year, about a calendar year. And in the second half, he, he did cool off scoring-wise, but certainly he was very productive in this one. And I mentioned it before, but the defensive rebounding was such a problem for the Hawks the whole game, but they allowed 22 second-chance points in the first half. And as a point of reference, the team leading the entire NBA right now in second-chance points per game is about 17 per game. And Philly had 22 point, uh, points in that in that form in the first half. So that was a problem. Uh, there was a stretch in their third quarter where Bogey was actually kind of hilariously in the mix. Number one, he got hit in the face by, by Kelly Oubre on a headbutt of sorts. Then he blocked a shot and made a three. Not Bogey's best game, I will say, but certainly he was active in that stretch. They were up by 20 at one point in the middle of the quarter were the Hawks. Um, but they did have some ball security issues. They had a bunch of turnovers in the middle of the quarter to kind of keep Philly in the game. I thought Sadiq Bey, we'll come back to him later on as well, made a bunch of effort plays in the second half that were notable and positive. He's been doing that a lot this season, and that's certainly something that's, uh, uh, that you can kind of hang your hat on with Sadiq. He has flaws, but he will always give you physicality, and he will play hard. That definitely was on full display in this one. Uh, there was a nice death by Jalen Johnson on a, on a straight-line dunk around uh, Mobamba on a drive. They were not dominant, though, in that quarter. I actually tied it overall, but they got them to the fourth up by 17 points, and then the fourth quarter was the challenge quarter for the Hawks, as referenced before. It was actually one awesome play where Hunter actually drove baseline and passed to Bruno Fernando in a way that he does not usually do. It was actually a great pass by DeAndre, a small thing. He wasn't like great in this game, but certainly a good flash play from him off the bench. But the Hawks kind of just could not pull away in this spot. And then eventually Philly had their big run, a 16 to six run by the by the Sixers to get the lead down to seven. The Hawks only scored six points in about five and a half minutes of, of game time. Trey did get it going after that, had three buckets in a row to kind of stabilize things, but it was not comfortable at all. 
Philly scored five points in a row. And at that, at that, at that point, the Hawks were fourth from team from the floor and 0 of 5 from three in the fourth quarter. And they were suddenly up by six with four minutes to go. It was kind of in that same six-ish range, a good drive by Jalen, allowed a bucket by Buddy Heald, and then Trey got to the line, made both, to go up by eight points with 109 to go. And at that point, you are you should be in control of things, I will say. And then Quinn challenged a call, um, all that stuff, you know, foul, sorry, challenged a foul call on a Kongwu, they actually won it, they didn't lose, ball, they, didn't lose uh, they actually took the free throws off the board, they didn't get the possession back, but still a good challenge by Quinn. And then Jalen Johnson, I have to say, had an awesome Defensive possession, not on his own, but certainly a lot of it was on his own. He swarmed Buddy Heald, the whole possession, moving his feet really well on the perimeter, and then also closed it with a rebound in a way that only he can. And that should have ended the game, honestly. The Hawks had the ball up eight after that stop, but the Hawks then missed three free throws on the next two possessions. And then Kelly Oubre had a three to get Philly within four with 20 seconds to go. Now, the Hawks were never like... One play away, but they were two plays away, basically, from blowing this game. Um, fortunately, Trey made free throws after that, and they were able to kind of seal the victory and win by six points. But um, it was never a situation where they were, like, totally on the edge or on the brink of losing. But when you're up by 22 against a pretty bad roster team, and it goes down to six in the fourth quarter with enough time to be worried, that's not ideal, but they managed to end it. Free throw line was not kind to them, but Trey made the biggest ones at the very, very end of the game. And they stopped turning the ball over, curiously, at that point, finally, did the Hawks. And they executed pretty well. At times this year, the Hawks have had some really bad flubs in, in big moments. And today, they missed free throws, but they weren't, like, kicking the ball around. You know, there have been times when they've turned the ball over at bad times, etc. Didn't really happen down the stretch of this game. And they were able to get out of there with a win. So, um, nothing special, necessarily, across the board. We'll talk about the individual player stuff in a second. But certainly, uh, they held on. And that was the name of the game in this one after they took the big lead. And they were able to kind of milk that all the way to the finish. All right, we'll have one more break now here from our sponsors, and we'll have more coming up on the player stuff as well as Landry Fields' comments from this morning. We'll get into all of that and more in one moment. Today's show is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little bit further? Do you ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner when you're driving? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs and the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. And the 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and for great escapes. It also has class-exclusive Google built-in that is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone because Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are also built right into the 12.3-inch HD Touchscreen infotainment system with a Nissan Rogue. And the 2024 Rogue is a perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. And at Nissan, they also have an incredible lineup that includes the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. And the Pathfinder has room up to 8, an expansive cargo capacity, and advanced available 4x4 capability. They have 284 horsepower, up to 6,000 pounds of towing. And when adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer that call. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada, and go find your next big adventure with Nissan. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right, so the player stuff now at the end of the podcast, and uh, a lot to get to here. So Trent Forrest, I mentioned before uh, how, about how he's limited in terms of how much, how much more he can play. I thought he was giving, giving them pretty good minutes in this game. He played good defense, didn't take a shot, but had four assists in eight minutes, um, you know, plus one, solid defense. Like, I thought Trent did his job, obviously, without Penny Mills, with Bufkin being hurt and also with College Park. Um, they were, and, and, of course, Murray being out, they were short on options, and they, they kind of had to, in my mind, play Trent Forrest because he was available on the roster. The alternative would have been like bogey at backup point guard. So like I get why they played Trent. He only played when Trey sat. That made sense to me. And I thought he did his job. And we'll see what the next step is for Trent. Garrison Matthews, eight points in 14 minutes. He was two or three from the floor, hit a three, drew a charge, had an assist, had a rebound, did his job. 
you know, Garrison's a pretty prototypical, like, fifth wing player and on a pretty good team. That's where he's been on this Hawks team. Makes a lot of sense to me. DeAndre Hunter, 11 points, two rebounds, an assist, a steal. I highlighted the one pass that sort of turned heads in the fourth quarter. Um, he made three threes in this game. Um, TBD on whether he'll be able to ramp up as far as minutes are concerned. He played 23-24 again in this game. It's kind of where he was again on Wednesday. Uh, it'll be an interesting test to see if he plays on Saturday. I have not seen anything yet about that. They don't have to post an injury report until Saturday afternoon, but um, back-to-backs, they've been a little bit cautious. He sat the last one, so we'll see if he's able to play or if the Hawks clear him to play back-to-backs on Saturday. So that's something to circle, but I thought he looked just fine in this game. Bruno Fernando, better in the first half than the second half, but certainly did his job. Six points, three rebounds, had two steals, um, 14 minutes. Nothing flashy at all for Bruno, but certainly was just fine off the bench in this one. Uh, Bogey struggled a little bit. 13 points on 12 shots. It's not awful, but certainly defensively he was uh, all over the place. Did have three blocks kind of oddly in this one, but the other stuff was not great for Bogey. Defensively had three assists, moved the ball, always a threat to, sh- to shoot the ball. Um, he actually, was three of seven on threes in this game, only two of five on twos. But um, I thought he was just, he was okay. He wasn't particularly good, but that's all right. Um, Jalen Johnson, big first quarter, 5-5-5. Five, 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 ended up with 11 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, and two blocks. He was four of eight on twos, one of four on threes. You know, not his best game, but he was fine. Uh, made a lot of made a, a lot of really good passes early on in this one. Rebounding wise, he's really really good. Um, with Capella out, he is very clearly the best rebounder. Like not even close. I mean, especially positionally, like Jalen's an awesome rebounder. He he high points the ball. That's a huge aspect of him and Akangwu working together long term. Is that Akangwu is not going to be ever a great great rebounder at center, but Jalen is a great rebounder with great size at the four spot. That showed in this game. I thought Bay was really good. 18 points, 11 rebounds. Um, only, only two of six on twos, but two of five from three is just fine. Eight of eight from the free throw line is very important. 11 rebounds. Um, yeah, really physical, tough, gritty performance from Sadiq. Um, obviously, you know, the shooting is going to, at least it has waxed and waned, but, uh, he gives them a lot and it's, uh, it's very, very useful. Akongwu was huge in the first half, not as much, pro- uh, scoring productivity after halftime, but certainly played well, 21 points, eight rebounds, two blocks and a steal for Akongwu hit it, hit, hit one three in this game. He was actually eight of 10 on twos. And played very well. Um, I thought it was pretty evident. I'm not sure if I said this earlier or not, so I'm going to say it now. Um, without DeJounte available, um, it was kind of the, a throwback to the old days where, you know, even with DeJounte, teams will sometimes decide that they're not going to let Trey re- beat them in the second half of games. If Trey's got it going, they will throw doubles at him or whatever. This was even more, this is kind of like the throwback to two years ago where, like, they were not respecting anybody in the second half of this game other than Trey. Um, and that makes sense. Like, Bogey could kind of beat them in some ways, but without DeJounte to kind of have put rim pressure on, there wasn't anybody but Trey to do that. Uh, Jalen did it a few times, but anyway, that was uh, notable to me. And lastly, Trey Young. So 37 points, 12 assists for Trey. He did have a turnover issue in this game. He had seven. That's too many. I will always say, like, he's going to have four or five a game. And that's what a lot of superstars do. Most of them do because they have the ball so much. But seven was too many. He had a couple bad ones in the second half. He was not perfect in this game by any means. But 37 and 12 speaks for itself. He was 5 of 9 on 2s. He was 5 of 12 on 3s, which is good volume and good accuracy. Didn't shoot as well as usual from the free throw line. Missed 4 of them on 16 attempts, but that's not even bad in itself. But some numbers for you. And this is, this is actually just a pretty crazy thing. Like, I'm not trying to pump it up too much, but to have this stuff happen in, two, in one game is kind of crazy. So, tonight, Trey passed Tony Archibald, a Hall of Famer, for number 5 all-time in career 30 game, sorry, career games with 30 points and 10 assists. He's fifth all the time. That's a crazy number. I mean, it is what it is. He's 25 years old. 
to be top five on any career accumulation list at 25 years old in the history of the NBA is wild. And that's a press. It's a pretty impressive one to have, to have 30 and 10 that many times. He also tied Magic Johnson, Hall of Famer, of course, for third all time in the longest streaks of at least five assists in every game. He's not had five assists or more in 154 straight games. And that list is entirely Hall of Famers too. So that happened in one game. If you think about that, it's kind of insane how young he is. Um, he's very good. Uh, 37 12 speaks for itself. Defensively, uh, you know, people that cover the Sixers who are not affiliated with the Hawks were kind of noting that like, hey, Trey competes defensively. It's like, yeah, he does. It hasn't made the rounds yet nationally just yet about Trey's defense being better than it's ever been, but it's true. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was big in this game. The, the scoring, the passing, he had a couple of just his typical wow passes and we'll leave it there for now. But yeah, a, a solid win for the Hawks across the board. Last thing before we get out of here on a Friday, because the Hawks do play again tomorrow, is that I did share the full half hour plus of audio on Landry Fields' press conference on the audio feeds of this podcast. Also shared some video clips in shorter form on the YouTube feed. I would encourage you to listen to that and watch that. Um, a lot of it was kind of what you expect from a GM who didn't make any trades. You know, Landry was, you know, a lot of it was like GM speak, internal development, and considering all the angles. And one of the favorite things that Landry references is Hawks DNA and long-term results over short-term results. Like all that stuff is kind of what you expect. It's not a bad thing. It's just kind of what it is. He talks about uh, talks being out there and not getting quite where they wanted to to make a move. Makes sense. Um, as I sort of alluded to earlier, he noted that AJ Griffin could play in College Park pretty soon. Obviously, um, and he sort of acknowledged this, the personal absences, sorry, personal absence, and whatever was happening off the court for AJ has been contributing to him not playing this year. I've said that, but to have him say that kind of pl- kind of plainly was pretty obvious, but also they said it out loud. But he did kind of refer to College Park. Um, I said last night on the show that like if they were trying to have him get through the deadline, that's now passed. He's got to play. He's got to play basketball, and I think that's it's time to have AJ playing in College Park pretty soon. Notably, he didn't say it was the reason. I want to be very very clear about that. He said it was not just the only reason, or anything like that. But he did kind of nod to recent performances of guys like Jalen and Bay and Akongwu as one of the reasons why the Hawks stood pat. Um, their recent play on the whole, in addition to those guys. And you know, I tease that. I kind of make fun of it a little bit. But the Hawks playing better pre-deadline certainly did not take away from them standing pat. So that's part of the calculus here. I don't, I don't love that, but there you go. Uh, I won't play it all for you, obviously, here, because it's 30 minutes long, but I, I have shared a lot of it. But I did want to play about a three-minute conversation and video or audio clip on Landry talking back and forth with Ken Segura of the AJC on the DeJounte Murray and Trey Young Perry. Obviously, DeJounte not being traded was the number one headline for the Hawks coming out of yesterday, at least nationally. And basically because it was so it was so out there that the Hawks essentially don't envision those guys as being their long-term backcourt. And they've obviously chosen to put DeJounte out there rather than Trey because Trey's the better player. But anyway, that's the backdrop of this. Obviously, we're gonna you'll kind of hear what the back and forth looks like, but it's it, it is raw. I didn't edit it at all, so you'll hear all of it. Larry didn't exactly have the most ring endorsement, I would say, of the pairing of Trey and DeJounte in the future. And uh, maybe that you would, I would have probably expected him, him to be a little bit more clearly positive, but he wasn't. And I guess you could sort of uh, admire the candor that he gave on this interview. So when it's over, and again, three, three plus minutes, so hang, hang tight. I'll come back and wrap up the show. But here is Trey answering some questions in back and forth fashion from Ken Segura of the AJC this morning on Friday about DeJounte and Trey. All right, Landry, uh, thanks for your time. Um, sample size uh, brings us a good question here. Um I think a lot, there's been a lot, of, obviously a lot of talk and thought about our 
Trey and DeJounte working well together. The numbers would suggest that when they're on the floor together, you're not as good a team. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you that this pairing is going to work and lead to where do you guys want to go as a franchise? Um, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, and I love how you framed it. Like sample size is getting larger and larger and larger. And assuming you're looking at specific lineups and defensive and offensive ratings, which can always be debated as well. Um, yeah, you're starting to see that more and more. And, um, yeah, the, I, 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 I can't lie to you. The numbers speak for, for themselves on that. Um, but we're also interested in, well, let's say they're on the court together and it's based off of the numbers, it's not working out. Well, why is that? Like, what are things that we can do for them in a development aspect to make it look more like the on-off lineups that I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're looking at? And ultimately, like that, then that lays something that is a bit that is measurable. Those are things now from a development standpoint that you can look at and say, okay, can you progress in these areas? If you can't, then yeah, like those are those are times like that. I'm not saying that's exactly how it's going to happen with any player where you'd have to consider the changes that you know everyone would then be kind of kind of kind of asking and looking for at the end of the day. Um, to follow up on that, are, are you saying, like, is there something that you see or know, like, if we get this kind of piece, then this will work better? Or, I mean, kind of where are, like, what is your thinking at this point about what's going to make this work? Piece in terms of what? Like, is there another player that we, like, a type of player on the floor that would make that combination work better for? So having Trey and and uh, DeJounte on the floor together, is that going to help us be a better team? Is there one more piece or do we need to play a different style? Is there something that you see now that's going to make you the kind of team that you want to be? Well, as far as another player, I mean, that that's always hard to say. Um, for, for those guys or any particular instance, yeah, it's looking at, okay, why, when it is working on the court, like, why is that successful? Why are we seeing positive results of that? What is it that you're doing? Those would be the things that for us, I think, tie back into a lot of our a lot of our pillars. Like one, what's the competitive spirit in that particular moment? Are we being unselfish? Are we moving the ball? Those things, which, you know, from a past standpoint, you can measure. Like if things get sticky there, then yeah, that's tough. Now the development to make it simple is like, hey, you gotta continuously move the ball and keep the advantage for for the group. Um, and are you willing to do that? Are you not willing to do that? If you are, great then we're going to be better. If you're not, then okay, then we've reached a point or we've reached a ceiling here. Okay. And think about my last question. Like how confident do you feel in, in that and work the two of them working together? I'm sorry. What was, I'm sorry. How confident do you feel that this is going to work out ultimately in the way that you envision? Um, I think that those guys are competitors. I think that at the end of the day, they want to do what they need to do to win. Um, and I would bank on that. I'm, I'm very confident in that. Uh, if that changes, then you'll see changes. All right. So there you go. Um, like I said, not a ringing endorsement, but also we'll see what, how they do. And I talked about it a lot last night. I encourage you to listen to that podcast. Um, I think DeJounte will be available, I would imagine, again in trades this summer. Um, we'll see if that affects anything. Obviously, they could, they could play better at the end of the season. As Landry kind of alludes to there, like the sample will only get bigger and maybe they'll play better. Maybe they'll be able to be, sort of be able to fix it internally. He didn't slam any doors on that answer either, but we'll see how they handle it. Of course, DeJounte didn't play tonight. We'll see if he plays on Saturday and uh, hang tight. But um, if you, uh, I, I, I would just say this, as I said last night, people around the league are basically already circling DeJounte as a trade target 
for the summer. And we'll see if that actually happens. And by the way, I will answer the rumblings about, I shouldn't even say rumblings, some of the reporting about rival executives floating that Trey Young could be available this summer. I'll hold that for later on, later on, but certainly I wouldn't be too, too, too worried about that. Unless he asks for a trade, that's obviously the X factor, but on the Hawks side, I'm not hearing anything like that at this point in time. All right, we'll get out of here now. The Hawks do play again on Saturday against Houston back at home. Tough spot with travel, but the Rockets also played tonight, and they actually had to play in Toronto, which includes customs and all of that. So arguably, it might even be a slight advantage for the Hawks, but certainly not a disadvantage. Uh, the Rockets also lost to the Raptors tonight, um, so keep that in mind. Houston is a team that is trying, and they are decent, but they're really bad on the road. They're 5-19 and 19 on the road this season, so we'll see what they look like. We'll see who plays for the Hawks. We'll see who plays for the Rockets. Um, DeJounte is a question mark. Uh, Hunter's a question mark on a back-to-back for sure. Obviously, Capella is out, so we'll see who shows up and who's available, and we'll see. In fact, I'm looking right now one more time to make sure I have, missed, I have not missed the betting line for tomorrow. In fact, it's, it, has, it actually has come out. This is pre-injury report. Our friends at FanDuel make the Hawks a four-and-a-half-point home favorite. So TBD on that. I'll have a podcast after the game on Saturday. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Overcast, YouTube, ratings, reviews, likes, follows, subscriptions, all of that stuff. Please go ahead and support the podcast anywhere that you possibly can. Follow the show on Twitter slash X at LockedOnHawks. Follow me there as well at BT Roland. I also write about the Hawks and share some extra audio clips at patreon.com slash btroland as well. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Friday into Saturday. I'll be back in about 24 hours. We'll see you next time.